Ladies and gentlemen, our special guest today has created one of the highest rated training programs in the world, the Speaking Academy. And in 2019, he launched the Speaker Nation, a professional speaker training company where their goal is to help you get crystal clear on your message, discover the power of your voice and gain the skills you need to create and deliver a talk so great that it simply cannot be ignored by your audience. And we hope that together today, we'll be able to create a video conversation here so great that it simply cannot be ignored by the online audience. He's the man behind some of Mind Valley's highest rated programs, including his flagship WildFit program, considered to be one of the most effective health transformation programs on the market today. Widely recognized as one of the most powerful, engaging and entertaining speakers in the world today, Mr. Eric Edmeads has locked over 10,000 hours on stage and spoken in over 20 different countries across the world. A lot of you will probably recognize Eric's work from Mind Value YouTube videos and from Mind Value programs. They've got millions of views on subjects such as public speaking, fitness and diet. I'm very excited and grateful to welcome Eric uh, to our platform today. It'll be our intention to decode for all of you the art of persuasive public speaking and the journey of discovering your own voice. Please join me in welcoming Mr. Eric Edmeads. <laughs> Eric, you're welcome to okay. the show. Hey, thanks very much. I'm very glad to be here. Really appreciate your time. 10,000 hours on stage. That's a massive landmark there. I mean, a huge milestone. And you're still, you're still a man on fire, a man with a mission to go out and change the way people think about uh, themselves and their message and their stories and what they can do for the world and their diets and so much more. You've been a serial entrepreneur yourself, founded many successful companies, and now you're on a mission to give it back to people. And I still feel that energy, that drive. Um, my first question is going to be, what keeps you going, Eric? What's the secret sauce here? You know, I, I, I came to a point in my business life some years ago where I, I you know, when I was a young man and somebody uh -huh. brought a business opportunity to me, I would immediately be asking, like, you know, what's the return on investment? How much mm -hmm. money could we make? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, I, maybe, maybe in your 20s, that's not a bad way to go. But there came right. a point where it, that started to switch for me. And two bigger questions started coming up. One was quite selfish. It was like, will this be fun? You know, will I enjoy this? Will will mm -hmm. I will I get some sense of fulfillment? Will it be entertaining? Mm -hmm. You know, will it will it help me to grow? That sort of thing. And then the less selfish version was is will it have an impact? Mm -hmm. And I have found that if I align my enjoyment with making an impact, then the money part kind of takes care of itself and has done. But mm -hmm. if I if I stay on those things, then I absolutely stay on fire. Right. Oh, that's powerful. I don't remember which movie it was, but towards the end, I think it's Morgan Freeman's character talking to someone else. And he talks about um, the, the questions they ask you as you enter the Egyptian heaven. Question number one, did, did, you have, did, did, did you experience joy in your life? And question number two, was your life a source of joy to other people as well before they let you in, in the, according to the Egyptian mythology in, in heaven? And that's a wonderful way, wonderful statement that you've made there. Um, is, it, is it going to be fun? Is it going to add value to people? And when we look at things from that paradigm, it completely changes, doesn't it? It, it really does. And, uh, you know, it's, um, you mentioned WildFit. So, uh, you know, mm -hmm. um, health and nutrition has been a passion of mine. Uh, since my early 20s uh -huh. but 
what was interesting to me is that through my life, I've been involved in a variety of different businesses. My first company was mobile computing and wireless right. networking. And then I got involved in Hollywood special effects. And I got uh -huh. to work on cool movies like Avatar and Pirates of the Caribbean and, wow. you know, all of those things. But mm -hmm. I have to say that in each of those cases, I got involved in those businesses largely for return on investment. Mm -hmm. And what was interesting is there came a point in my life where uh, earning money was no longer the highest priority. I had mm -hmm. sort of solved that financial mystery to some degree. Mm -hmm. and, and, and suddenly I decided that I was going to focus on something that was really in my heart, which mm -hmm. was a combination of enjoyment and impact. And so mm -hmm. I started WildFit as, as a hobby. And it really did start as a hobby and the word of mouth made it grow around the world. Like, you know, mm -hmm. now some 50,000 people around the world have done that. And right. so it's interesting to me that the one business that really took on a life of its own that uh -huh. I didn't have to push that, that really like it, it really created a return on investment in a major mm -hmm. way was mm -hmm. the one business I didn't start for that purpose. Right. And that, that's impressive because your program has been consistently ranked one of the top, um, you know, programs which have been completed and people have signed up for it again and top rated programs out there on Mind Valley. And there's a phenomenal group of speakers out there. And that that speaks volumes about that. And I think um, what you just said is uh, we created a sometime a video sometime back, which is called unintentional side effects. And, and it's about doing things without intending to actually achieve something. And um, what you said about money is that money if, if it should bring liberation for people, while for most people, sadly, it brings, it creates another prison, but they, they build another wall around themselves. What are your thoughts on the yeah. subject of financial freedom and how people can find their inner voice as they step into the second halves of their life where money no longer is a huge consideration? You know, I, I think a big part of that comes down to um, what the driver is, what the motivation mm -hmm. is. So for, mm -hmm. for most of us that, that weren't born into money, yeah. most of us start making money to avoid not having any, mm -hmm. right? True. Like we start making money to avoid poverty. We start mm -hmm. making money to avoid, it's not that we make money to pay the rent. We, mm -hmm. we, we make money to avoid not paying the rent. You know, right, the that's a fear. Not mm -hmm. the rent. Mm -hmm. And so what's interesting about that is that when you're motivated by something that you're moving away from, the closer it gets to you, the stronger it motivates you. Mm -hmm. a, a silly example is if you and mm -hmm. I are out for a walk in the woods mm -hmm. of Western Canada and we see a grizzly bear 500 meters away, mm -hmm. we probably stop and look at it. Right. Right. But but when it's 100 meters away, we're walking away. Right. <laughs> yeah. When it's 10 meters away, we're running our asses off to get mm -hmm. away. So mm -hmm. the closer that thing is, the more motivating it is. And then there's the ironic twist. And that is that for many people, they work very hard to get away from that that grizzly bear of poverty. Mm -hmm. And then as it gets further and further away, their motivation comes further and further down and they stop mm -hmm. working as hard and they start self-sabotaging mm -hmm. until the bear catches up with them again. And then mm -hmm. they start running again. Mm -hmm. And most people spend their life in that relationship with the bear. Mm -hmm. what, what, what really would help people mm -hmm. is if they noticed there was something they were running after, mm -hmm. if they were running wow. toward, and, right. and, you know, so it's almost like you have to move beyond the running away from into mm -hmm. the route moving out toward and that pulls you. And there's another great benefit of that. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a silly thing, but, you know, if, if I have, I have this bottle here on my desk and if uh -huh. I push the bottle, if there's a force pushing on it, it can move in any direction away from the pushing. Like right. it, it doesn't have to move straight away. It could move slightly to the side. But if that move, that, that bottle is moving towards something, it moves in a straight line toward that thing. 
-hmm. So maybe I'm not saying this as clear as I could, but when somebody is being pushed by poverty, they can run in any direction away from the poverty. When you are running toward your passion, when you're running toward your independence financially, then it's like a laser focus. You're running in one direction forward and much, you're much harder to distract. Somebody uh-huh. who's running away from money, every time they have an opportunity to make money, they take another turn and they right. end up zigzagging their way through the financial forest. Absolutely, because there's no clear specific intention. It's like uh, being pushed around by circumstances or being driven by external stimulus, right? That There is no clear intention there. I love what you said about uh, being driven by fear and you know, experts call it extrinsic versus intrinsic motivation. Is uh, Are you driven by rewards, applause, fame, and you know all those things that we go after only to get there and realize that, hey, you know, I'm not fulfilled. I'm still not fulfilled. I don't have what I was originally after, there's something missing. And then they discover this pull within this, either it's being of service to the world or doing something that they absolutely would have never logically thought of in their 20s or 30s and they make that wild call and suddenly they find that sense of fulfillment. So it's about um, understanding that the, the, the push could, as you rightly said, could push you into any direction. The pull is intentional um, because yeah. y- you know where you're headed to. So uh, talk to us about, you've, you've done exciting things on your journey, you know, um, starting these ventures, successful business ventures, working for Hollywood movies and their special effects and so many other things. You've lived and traveled across the world, I believe from South Africa to the United States. You've spoken in so many countries. What was the transition like from the business world, the action-packed, you know, focus on the bottom line to what you're doing today? Was it a natural transition? What led to it? And what could be some takeaways for our audience today? You know, I think the transition came uh, um, in stages, of course. You know, it Mm -hmm. wasn't like this one big black and white moment. But Mm -hmm. if there was such a moment, if there was such a moment, I only became aware of it a few years after it happened. And, and, (laughs) And I remember what that moment might have been. Mm-hmm. And what happened was, is that um, I had been invited by uh, Anthony Robbins to come right. and teach business and marketing at his business mastery programs. Okay. And I was really only brought in as a spare speaker because they didn't have another speaker. So, mm-hmm. so I was, I, I, it was a one-off opportunity and, and I knew that I was at you know, what you might call an inflection point. I was at a mm-hmm. moment where my life could change. Mm-hmm. And I made a decision that day to do the very best that I could because that way maybe it would, I knew that that opportunity could like propel me. And, mm-hmm. and the truth was it did. Uh, um, Tony and I hit it off and he ended mm-hmm. up booking me for a year of events. And wow. that really gave me this like uh, real kickstart in this mm-hmm. area. So there's that one moment where, um, you know, I, I really decided to step up. And I can, t- I can describe how it happened is that sure. I, I was flying into Fiji Mm-hmm. and uh, where the event was that I was yep. the very first Tony Robbins event that I was speaking at. Mm-hmm. And I was quite familiar with Tony. I'd grown up listening to him on tapes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. tapes, tapes. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, I'd grown up listening to him on tapes. And so I knew about him quite well. And I got to, and I was flying in. And as the plane was coming into Fiji, I'm looking down at all the palm trees and I'm thinking, this is incredible. Eleven days mm-hmm. ago, I had no idea I was going to be here. Mm-hmm. And what and, and I hadn't been on stage for three years. So why I said yes to this, I don't know. But mm-hmm. I suddenly had this thought, if I really rock this, if I really give it everything, if I uh-huh. really present well, uh-huh. then maybe Tony will call me again one day when he has an emergency. Right. <laughs> and, 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 and that was as expansive as I could get in that moment. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. But then as the planes started getting closer and closer and the palm trees were getting closer and the water was amazing. And I suddenly thought, you limited idiot. <laughs> you don't want to just be called in emergencies. You don't want right. to just get on the list. Mm-hmm. If you do really, really well, maybe you can become the list. Wow. Maybe you could be the first guy they call. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that made me make some changes. Mm-hmm. It, 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 like as I was preparing the talk, I realized mm-hmm. I needed to make some changes if it was going to be world class. And as an example, they told me that Tony wouldn't stay for my talk. He'd stay for, you know, five, 10, 15 minutes just to make sure I wasn't bombing. And then he mm. would leave because I was on right. stage for three hours, three and a half uh-huh. hours. And he, w- he has a busy day. And of so course. I thought, you know what? If I want to become the list, I'm going to have to figure out how to keep him in the room. Mm. So I took a story that I was telling an hour in and I Mm. moved it into the first five minutes Mm -hmm. because I knew it would be interesting to him. And so, and I got him laughing, I got him thinking, and he stayed in the room for three and a half hours. So that's where it began in a sense, right? Mm -hmm. In that moment when I decided to see the impossible, Mm -hmm. because let's be very clear, before they called me and said, hey, could you come and speak at Tony? The idea of sharing the stage with Tony and doing events with him for, for the me of back then, it mm-hmm. was an impossible idea. Right. So Far-fetched. the idea of being booked as a regular speaker was like impossible times 10. Uh-huh, way out so there. Mm. It was way out there. So what happened for me was that moment sitting on the plane where I allowed myself to see the impossible as possible, mm. that moment, really changed a great deal for me because it then started changing the decisions I made and it changed my energy on stage. It changed the way I delivered. It changed the way I communicated with Tony when we met and Mm -hmm. it changed everything. And and a phenomenal example of thinking big right there because you were probably one part of you was satisfied and even excited and grateful for the opportunity you were getting and then you raised the bar yourself. You're saying, oh, probably, right? I got to be the list and I love that. And a lot of us, we end up doing that. We end up... um, um, you know, not unleashing our full potential and settling for something less. And it's yeah. not the world evaluating us for that. It's ourselves, but, you know, drawing that line for us saying, this is where I'm very happy to be here, which is great, but I want to raise the bar for myself. Um, phenomenal example there. And um, I want to use that to, to decode your um, stepping into the world of public speaking and persuasive speaking, all the world you've done, work you've done with training other speakers. Um, what, tell tell us what, what, what are you a naturally gifted speaker was it comfortably you know you went on stage that day were you a little nervous if if what were your hacks what was going on in your mind and how did you sort of go about that entire very critical presentation in front of tony i um i'm i have a theory have, having mm-hmm. taught many many people uh, presentation skills speech writing public speaking and so forth mm-hmm. um and the theory is is that everyone is a naturally uh, talented, naturally born public speaker and storyteller, mm-hmm. everyone. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not a popular notion because many people feel like they have no skills in that area and many people feel like they're phobic and terrified and don't want right. to do it. Mm-hmm. But, but I, I'll, I'll just give you this as my evidence or my measurement. Uh-huh. If, if you, do you play golf? Um, sometimes, yeah. Okay, so let's say you suddenly decide you want to become good enough to play on the senior tour. You're, uh-huh. you're, you've decided you're going to put your retirement now. Right. You're going to have to go hire an incredible golf coach. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to hire a phenomenal caddy. And mm-hmm. then you're going to have to go out and, and hit balls every day. You're going to have to play courses every day. You're going to have to practice for 10 hours a day. And mm-hmm. maybe 10 years from now, mm-hmm. you might 
be able to get yourself onto the senior tour, you know, that's something like that, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's because even if you're naturally born talent for golf, you have to learn all these skills, you have to, you know, and so on. What's fascinating about public speaking, and I've witnessed it countless times, is you can take somebody who is not displaying any natural skills for storytelling, not displaying any natural skills for public speaking, and you can work with them for three or four days and bam, they've got it. It's wow. like a switch that gets turned on inside them. And uh -huh. that's because it was already always present, but uh -huh. it was trained out of them by our school system, by our parents right. unconsciously, and mm -hmm. by you know the people around us and our social conditioning. Mm, with good intentions. Uh, I read this somewhere that the first three years, the parents are really worried if the child doesn't start speaking, speaking. And, that, and then immediately and they then want him to shut up and behave. The way they would yeah, want to. Yeah, yeah, you get this conflict where, you know, uh, uh, at first your parents celebrate your words uh -huh. and then soon they're uh -huh. telling you to use your indoor voice. Mm. And, and, mm. and it, somewhere in there, you're constantly learning how do I get what I want from the world? How do I fit in the best and so on? Uh, you know, one, one example is in school, you're mm -hmm. really taught to just sit and listen, sit and listen because the teacher is the expert, right? Sit and mm. listen, sit and listen. And mm. then, and then, they, they, you know, teachers love to call on the kid who doesn't have the answer. They love right. to do that. And, you know, it's, it's, it's like, Always. And, and Always. they think that they're doing that to teach the child a rather complex lesson. And that lesson right. is you should pay attention right. to my class. Mm -hmm. But the real lesson that the kid gets that day is public speaking is terrifying when you mm -hmm. don't have the answer. Right. And, and so right. children go through this 12-year process of being trained into terrified you know, into being terrified of public speaking. Mm -hmm. But it can be turned around really quickly. And I, I went through that. I was absolutely phobic of public speaking, terrified mm -hmm. of it. Like, mm -hmm. if you asked me, if you called me on a Monday and said, Eric, could you come give a presentation on Friday? Mm -hmm. I would say no, categorically no. <laughs> but I would be unable to eat food or hold food down until your Friday event was gone. Really? Even Despite I that? No. Oh. <laughs> it was terrifying for me. Right, right. But like a light switch, I was able to turn that off. And no, today I, when Tony, you know, when Tony's team called me, uh -huh. um, I had some excitement, but there was no moment of nervousness. Uh, for mm. me, it was a matter of how good it was going to be, not how bad. What I mean is, at a minimum, I knew that they were going to like what I did. At a maximum, they might call me again. Sure. Whereas in the old days, it was like at a minimum, I might die up there. <laughs> Something <laughs> horrible might happen to me. Everybody might hate me and throw things at me. And right. I would be, you know, because I had all the wrong images in my head. But, and so that, that was progress. That was progress. Uh, right, right, right. And right. it's right. interesting how interesting public that. speaking evokes such strong emotions, you know, physical reactions, uh, skin rashes and sweaty palms and so much. And uh, yet that the, the fears are all made up and it's not until you confront them. It's not until you go out there. Uh, I had somebody say on one of these recent interviews that, uh, you know, think about the fact that if they've called you, They've, they they've know that you're worthy of being there. Otherwise, so you, you, they, they've made the effort of, you know, for example, in your case, to fly you to Fiji and be there uh, and present to that audience. And I think that's applicable for anybody on their journey of public speaking. If they have a slot with your name on it, they've seen value in what you do. So have that faith. Except, mm -hmm. except there's mm -hmm. one problem with that. And you're totally right. And mm -hmm. sure. how many conferences have you been to where you've been sitting there wishing you were on the aisle so you could escape. How many <laughs> times have you been sitting in a conference where the person on the stage was so bad that mm. you just wanted to be out of the room? <laughs> and the problem is, is that that dispels the idea that if they invited me, I'm gonna be good enough because we have all sat in a room and watched a speaker mm. bore the hell out of a room. 
Sure. And so I think secretly many of us sit there and wonder if you're, if maybe we're that guy, maybe uh. we're that woman, you know? And, and yeah. so, yeah, on one sense, you're absolutely logically correct. If somebody has called you and invited you and given you the space to speak, mm-hmm. likely they believe that you have the value. Mm-hmm. But, but the other version of it is, is that um, the, the level of skill out there in the world of speaking is so low. Because mm-hmm. here's something I want you to think about. Mm-hmm. If you've been to that conference, and we all have, mm-hmm. where the person on the stage is boring the hell out of us, we have to remember some things. They paid that person to be there in many cases. Right. They covered their expenses to be there. They put them in a nice hotel room. They might even have flown them there, right? Like uh-huh. they, all that stuff for that quality. VIP. All right. Mm. So wait a second. Mm-hmm. We don't even have to be that good to compete. We don't even have to be that good to be key. Now, obviously, it's worth becoming a master at anything you want to do. And I think that the first step is to become comfortable and confident with the general idea of sharing your soul and sharing your mm-hmm. authenticity on the stage. Mm-hmm. And then after that, obviously, practice and learning some skills can differentiate us dramatically. But the opportunity is phenomenal because the quality of the average conference speaker is not yeah. so good. So the benchmark is really, really low, low out there, guys. <laughs> Plenty of opportunity look, to look, distinguish. Look, talks. Uh-huh. T- TED Talks, why are they 18 minutes? Right. I think they're 18 minutes because the average person can't hold an audience for longer than 18 minutes. Mm, probably in the era of um, TikTok, I think it's going down <laughs> even more to yeah. 18, to a few minutes now, but valid point there. And um, um, you, you speak a lot about the stage effect, um, um, Eric, in one of your videos I saw. Um, what is it and how can more people leverage the stage effect to because there are so many people out there with tremendous potential, and yet when the moment comes, they're, they're unable to capture it. So what is the stage effect, and how can we use more of it? Okay, to answer that properly, um, mm-hmm. let's just go back for a minute to the fear of public speaking, because it's related. Sure. Right. Um, so there are, two, there are basically two types of fears that people have. There are fears that are based on reality, and there are fears that are completely irrational. So mm-hmm. if somebody has a phobia of balloons, then that's a completely irrational fear. Somebody popped a balloon in the face when they were two or whatever, and they just kept the fear of balloons. But we all know that balloons aren't actually dangerous, so it's not rational. But if somebody has a fear of snakes, for example, that's a fear that is built on a rational fear. There Mm. are dangerous snakes. So Mm. public speaking is the second type. Mm. Public speaking can actually be dangerous, and not Mm. so much in our world today, although Mm. I'll come to why it is. Mm -hmm. But, But for the longest time, if you, and, and considering that storytelling was the primary method of education and passing on of tradition and, and what have you uh, for human history, I mean, it's been a huge part of human history. If you said the wrong thing, you could right. get ostracized. Right, by the tribe. Right? And ostracization mm-hmm. used to be really, really dangerous. I mean, mm-hmm. if you were like kicked out of your clan, you, mm. you had to hunt for yourself, you had to gather for yourself. So so there, there, there is this idea that if you're out there sharing your opinions and stuff, you are walking the edge of social acceptability. Where uh-huh. are you allowed to do it? In fact, we now see that coming up a lot in what we call cancel culture, where somebody mm. tells a joke 15 years ago right. and it surfaces get today and they get canceled, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now, understanding that our fear of public speaking is rooted in that idea. So it's right. not an irrational fear. It's just an exaggerated rational fear. Uh-huh. Now, the reason that we've got this powerful thing called the stage effect is that because there's risk involved in being a public speaker, because right. there's risk involved in, 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 in telling a story around the fire or standing in front of a thousand people or talking right. in front of a camera, there's risk involved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, when you put yourself at risk like that and you speak with confidence mm-hmm. and you engage people and importantly, you add value, 
They mm. automatically ascribe a certain level of power to you, a certain level of, of, of credibility. You right. are a leader. Mm. And that's because probably for hundreds of thousands of years, the top hunter told stories around the fire. Mm. Had the, the, the one with the best stories of hunting had the greatest credibility. People wanted to sit around that fire and get uh -huh. the best information. Right. And so that's what the stage effect is. It is an unnatural, almost mm -hmm. magical attraction that somebody creates when they put themselves at risk in front of a camera or an audience and mm -hmm. share engaging information that's mm -hmm. valuable to the audience. Boom, a natural attraction. That person can charge more per hour. That person mm -hmm. can get the book deal. That person mm -hmm. can, can get a million views. That person can create the kind of attraction that changes everything. Right. And, and I like what you said about the, the storytelling aspect of how information was passed down generation to generation and the risk involved. So that's primal fear is still it's there somewhere in the back of our mind. So it's not completely unfounded. It's not completely baseless. There is some and but there are ways to mitigate that. There are ways to overcome that and soothe your nerves as you sort of go into it. Uh, but I think the major takeaway here is uh, when you're on stage, you have a tremendous opportunity or in front of camera or delivering a talk. You have a huge opportunity there to share your story to influence how people think and to build your tribe, you know, out there and where people are competing for eyeballs and attention on social media. You know, uh, this is a phenomenal opportunity. It really is. Um, one day I was standing on stage and, you know, talking about public speaking and somebody asked me about it relative to business and this sort of mm -hmm. stuff. And I just said, look, the way the world is today and mm -hmm. the way the world has been for a very long time, frankly, if you can become comfortable and confident with public speaking, you are one well-constructed, mm -hmm. well-delivered talk away from right. some major breakthrough. You're one Absolutely. talk away, always. And, 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 and we've seen countless examples of that. You've got uh -huh. Simon Sinek. Well, who was Simon Sinek before Simon Sinek was Simon? He was simply Simon. <laughs> right. <laughs> he was Simon Sinek. Before the Y video. Version. Uh -huh. But one powerful TED Talk. Right. Added a zero to his keynote speaking fee, led to countless best-selling, uh, you know, right. uh, Brené Brown, same mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. You know, Brené Brown, very interesting story there because, you know, mm -hmm. Brené Brown, as a social scientist, had been speaking about vulnerability for a very long time. Yep. And, you know, was, was successful in her career. But for one day, uh -huh. for the first time, delivering also a TED Talk, she decided mm -hmm. not to just speak about vulnerability. She decided to speak with vulnerability, which is ultimately authenticity, right? Uh -huh. And she spoke with vulnerability. And the way she tells the story is she got home and saw that the video had been up, um, uploaded and it had like 600 views. And she's like, take it down. I don't want people in 6,000 <laughs> views. Then it was 6 right. million views. And of course, again, countless bestsellers. And, and I remember years ago working for an organization that tried to hire Brené. We confirmed to their team that she was available. Her speaking fee back then was, and it's much higher now, her mm -hmm. speaking fee back then was $30,000. And she was available, but mm. she turned it down. And mm. I remember back then thinking, wouldn't it be great <laughs> right. to be able to turn down a $30,000 keynote? Send it over to me, right? <laughs> that speaking assignment. <laughs> but I, I remember the TED Talk by Simon, you know, and the lighting's not very good. And he's using a flip chart there. And so, you know, therefore, guys, you know, look at that TED Talk. It was coming from the gut. He had a very important point to make. And also very importantly, not that it was the first time somebody was making that point. You know, discover your why, follow your why. It's been in leadership curriculum for ages. But he had the right platform. And this was going yep. to be his moment. And he captured it and look where it took him you know the inflection point on our channel eric you'll be surprised to know I, I do a thing called coach on campus we go to local universities and we get the students together say let's do a quick q a 
day thing, you know. Uh, shoot your questions, I'll do my best to answer them. We'll videotape them, put it on YouTube. Somebody came up with this, you know, same subject that we're talking about today, public speaking, how can I improve my communication skills? I wasn't even prepared. And if you go watch that video, it's not even about communication skills. It's about mindset and pre preparation and learning, et cetera, et cetera. But there's no specific meaty sort of uh, material there on specifically on communication skills. However, as luck would have it, that was the inflection point for our channel. From um, we, we stand at 1.5 million subscribers today, that single video uh, contributed to one fifth of all the views we have today. And we never even thought, I was sick, I was, I had a paracetamol and I went out there and spoke about this, uh, you know, off the cuff and there it took off. There it took off. You know, um, weirdly, some mm -hmm. of the talks that I feel like have been the best I've delivered have been ones where um, the circumstances weren't ideal where mm. you know, maybe I did have a headache that day, or maybe right. the scheduling wasn't the way I intended it to be. Maybe I didn't uh -huh. have a chance to plan all that well. Right. And one really good example of that is a few years ago, um, Mind Valley asked me to do a talk um, on public speaking. They just asked me, it was at, I think it was at Mind Valley University, mm. and they asked me to do a talk on public speaking. They wanted me to do a three hour workshop for these people, right. and it was very casual. I, 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 I you know, uh, the, the atmosphere is very much almost like summer camp. So I didn't even take mm. it all that seriously. I didn't really you know but and I, I so i didn't give a lot of thought to the, what i was wearing i mm -hmm. i my hair i didn't get a haircut my hair was just slicked it was just not i i didn't i, I just went there to go have fun mm -hmm. and then I, I did this talk and then i didn't know this but they're filming it and mm -hmm. they put it on youtube mm -hmm. and that talk they broke it because it was three hours they broke it right. into two halves mm -hmm. it's about one 1.5 hours each mm -hmm. and the first video is now over two i think it's over I don't know, 1.2, 1.5 or something million views. But you got to remember uh -huh. what you got to think about that in terms of minute views, right? Like mm. it's over an hour with one point whatever million views organically. And, and I, it, it's just like you said, it was not ideal. It wasn't uh -huh. perfect, but it was authentic. It was from the heart, etc. Uh, very spontaneous. I've seen it and I highly recommend all of you go watch those two talks as well. Um, Eric gave on public speaking as well as go check out his Mind Valley programs as well. Phenomenal. I think they'll add great value to your life. I, I looked, I, you know, that talk, it was very spontaneous. It was a um, um, lot of personal anecdotes there, a lot of things that you personally went through. And I've incorporated that, you know, I learn all the time. And I see sometimes we get too factual, you know, we're like more bullet point driven or data driven or what is Harvard Business Review saying? about this? What is the economist saying about this? You know, when you work with corporate audiences, you want to probably lean on that side a little bit. But uh, what I learned from your talk the other day after I switched off, I was like, storytelling is more powerful. Storytelling is more powerful, right? Because people can uh, suddenly step into it. It's just like a little movie that you created there and they can now process information in a different way. And uh, that was going to be my next question to you, Eric. Uh, what creates a good story? And because you mastered this art. All right. So here, here's a off the cuff kind of example. But you uh -huh. said like when you're doing corporate speaking, you might want to tend to lean toward credible, you know, credible uh, um, uh, resources like The Economist or what have you. And you right. might want to give the statistics and, and so on. Uh -huh. So here, here's here's the difference. Uh, let's say, well, um, I can answer your question by telling you that in a recent article of The Economist, uh, it was uh, it turned out that surveying university students coming out of four years of university education, that the number one skill they wish they learned in university was public speaking because it was the most sought after thing in the job market. Okay, right? So that 
I mean, that's, I'm going to mm. do my corporate speaking. I'm going right. to speak from a credible place. I read sure. the story in The Economist. Right. Right. On the other hand, uh-huh. on the other hand, I can say to you, so you know what's really great about public speaking? I was blown away. I was blown away to think about this. But you would think that you go to university and you have to do presentations and stuff. Well, I was reading in The Economist that they interviewed all these university students that were coming out of Penn State and they asked them, what is the one skill that you wish you got having spent all these thousands of dollars on your education? What's mm-hmm. the one skill that you wish you got? And mm-hmm. they all said, or something like 85% of them said, mm-hmm. public speaking. They said mm. it was the one skill that would have made all the difference to them when they were seeking employment because it, the ability to communicate is everything. Right. So I feel the difference. One mm-hmm. is a story. Yep. The other one is a bunch of facts. Right. Well, your one second is memorable version, and impactful. Yeah, the second version still incorporates the facts, but in, in a different sort of way. It's, 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 mo- right. it, it's a story, uh, to, you know, by and large, but there's a fact there as well to support it. So it's, it's, and I could feel the difference. It's more engaging. It's like, yeah, I want to know what was the one thing that, that they, yeah. um, that so they did. So if you think about what, <laughs> what that takes, right? You know, it's like, well, obviously I'm using a better tone of voice. I'm, uh-huh. I'm speaking in the, I'm speaking uh, from the perspective of a story. I'm right. creating a picture in your mind, hopefully, of me, like maybe reading the, the and I looked in the magazine, and I, you know, uh-huh. I'm, I'm, I'm putting you in a time and a place. Mm-hmm. I'm allowing you to experience the epiphany I had as if you were having it as well. And right. because of that, it will create a deeper emotional connection with you. And therefore, you are much more likely to remember what I said uh-huh. than if it was just a bunch of facts. Sure. No, definitely. Um, and it, th- this is... Um, an art that you can never you can never get to a point and say oh you know I've learned everything there is uh, about it there's always something out there and you see somebody else playing with their craft differently and you're intrigued about how they do it no question when i made the decision to really get into public speaking i watched countless hours of the most phenomenal speeches, Martin Luther Uh King, John F. Kennedy. You know, I I studied the great political speeches. I studied the great entertainment speeches. I watched Mm -hmm. stand-up comedians. I I never stopped learning and I still Mm -hmm. haven't. And it's really interesting. Some years ago, Mm -hmm. we were uh, were launching a new program called the One Talk Workshop, which is like a, it's a three-day online program that teaches people my formula for speech writing and how to construct stories and what have you. And it's, you know, super excited to be launching it. And we did an email campaign out to our existing database, largely entrepreneurs, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, so we went to these entrepreneurs and said, er, you know, Eric's launching this one. And this woman write, wrote back and she goes, I'm already a professional speaker. I don't need mm-hmm. this. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to write back and said, perhaps this is why I've never heard of you. <laughs> I, 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 be, look, I'm not saying, I'm, not saying I'm always nice in there. <laughs> Well, but, we all, but the mm-hmm. point was is that you know that she's reached a the pinnacle of hers of her mm. that she's gone as far as she's going to get if she doesn't want to continue to develop herself. Uh-huh. So my you know and, and this is this is a hard thing to say sometimes, but and people often don't believe me. They I come off the stage, they think I did fantastic. I can tell you there mm. there are only maybe two or three times in all the talks that I've delivered all over the world. There's only two or three times where I've walked off the stage and thought nailed it. Yeah, there's always something missing. Every Mm -hmm. other time, I have a long list of things that I could have Mm -hmm. done better, that I could have said better, I could have done that story, I should have left a longer pause. Uh I I record every every talk I give is recorded and transcribed, so I'm able to break them down. I don't, Uh don't, I'm not half-hearted about this. But I'll tell you this though, two two interesting points on that. Uh Two of the times that I thought that I rocked it 
were two of the time. I've been very lucky as a speaker. I've almost never had to have the awkward conversation with the producer of that wasn't exactly what we were expecting or mm-hmm. we didn't really like that. Or, I, I'm very lucky. I haven't had that mm-hmm. except two times I have had it. The only two times that I could think of I've ever had that were after I thought I nailed it. Oh my <laughs> so God. So that's a little, that's a little right. reality check, right? Uh-huh, but uh-huh. the other thing is this. If I ever do 10 speeches in a row and I feel like there's nothing left to improve, that's when mm-hmm. I'll stop speaking. Mm. Right. I, I can relate with what you said, Eric, about um, you, the two occasions when you thought you rocked it and the client didn't think that way. I, I gave exactly the same presentation to a telecom client of mine, two different locations, same topic, uh, but two different geographical locations within the same country. Uh, one was the central part of India, uh, the southern part of India, more or less same demographics. Um, one said, wow, loved it, we'll have him back next year. The other said, no, we, you know, we probably had better different expectations, other expectations, etc. And so I think two or three very important takeaways for our audience here. Number one, see the sheer amount of hard work um, that great public speakers put in even when they are at the top of their game. You know, when Eric's talking about recording and improving and learning from others. So um, I like what in the growth mindset Professor Carol Dweck talks about um, that you may have the right talent for it but it takes hard work consistent hard work in order to polish it and bring it to a level where it adds tremendous value to the world. And the second, it is, it's, it's not about what you think, it's also about how it's coming across and it's being perceived by your audience. So the audience play a huge role in, in that interaction and that leads me to my next question, Eric. Do you study your audience? I mean, how far do you go in terms of customizing? Um, I mean, you know, how do you tailor it? Do you improvise on the go? Or what are your suggestions or tips on that? Okay, so um, there's a couple of different issues that brings up. So I have a number of friends that are like traditional, uh, traditional keynote speakers, like traditional keynote speakers. And Mm -hmm. they uh, like what they'll do is um, usually toward the end of each year, they'll start designing their next keynote and they'll they'll create this keynote. And then what they'll do is they'll sell that keynote. So they will go out on tour and basically do that talk at every corporate engagement. And, Uh And it'll basically be a perfected word perfect word for word speech with the perfect slides and they do that same talk all year mm-hmm. long mm-hmm. and it's and it's basically the same talk every time they give it right and uh, i can tell you that i don't believe that i've ever given exactly the same talk twice mm-hmm. ever ever in my life and and uh, there's two reasons for that the one is that i think there's um there's a difference between uh trying to perfect the words and mm-hmm. and uh, and trying to deliver in a very authentic way Mm-hmm. If you have a very perfected speech, I'll give you a great example because I'll mm-hmm. tell you, I don't know if you're familiar with Bo Eason, but I, no. I'm, a, I'm a big fan. I think Bo is a great, great entertainer. He's a phenomenal guy. Okay. Uh, I, he and I both spoke at a conference once. And mm-hmm. I, when he went on stage, what I could see is that his talk was letter perfect. It was perfect. Every single thought was perfect. He knew mm-hmm. he, he was he was stage marking perfectly. He knew where to stand on stage for each part of the story. He told the story. But what you could also see is that he had done it before and uh-huh. that he would do it again and that he could do it every night just off Broadway as a right. one man show. Mm-hmm. That is an art form. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. No judgment mm-hmm. about that. Mm-hmm. It's a different art form than the art than, than the direction I've gone in. And the direction I've gone in is to be able to create a genuine, uh, impactful heart-centered connection with the audience. Right, and right. I don't know that you can do that following a script. I, if you can, it's a skill I haven't learned. Mm-hmm. And, and so for, for me, it, it's, it's when you ask if I customize it, well, 
here's the first question that's very important to ask. Who is the client? Mm. The producer or, or the booking agent that brought you in or mm -hmm. the audience? Mm -hmm. Who is the actual client? Right. Well, to me, it's, it's the producer. It's, 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 the, it's the person who booked you, not the audience. Okay. And, and it's crazy because if you ever want to stir a bit of a fight on LinkedIn, you just go into the mm -hmm. public speaker forum and ask them that question. And mm -hmm. they're like, it's the audience. It's the audience. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, that's what not. I thought. I'll tell you mm -hmm. how you know mm -hmm. that yeah, yeah. because they're not the ones that control whether you come back the next year. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're not paying they're, the bill, right? <laughs> they're not paying the bill. Now, mm -hmm. of course, your job is to serve them, of course but you're doing that on behalf of the company that engaged you or the mm. producer that hired you. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing is to recognize that the audience is the person who actually hired you, or sorry, the client is the person who actually hired you and they hired you to entertain, inspire, empower, uh, you know, the, motivate the audience. Great. Fair enough. Great point. So when you get that, it mm -hmm. gives you some idea of how to connect well uh, mm -hmm. how to customize because you got to make sure you're serving the client's needs. Mm -hmm. Then the next part of that is, is really getting to know the audience, getting to know them. So when, when I do the, let's say the same talk in two different countries, there right. will be subtle changes that are made to recognize the cultural differences or the, or the corporate cultural differences that I'm uh -huh. speaking on. So in a very real sense, every talk that I do is, you know, custom for that given audience. Right. So cultural differences, Demographical, corporate culture, I mean, it's, it's never the same. It's never the same. Even though no. you might have memorized the script or you know how, exactly how it goes or the pauses or the stories or the punchlines, but it's never the same. And I think for a speaker to understand that, to be mindful of that, um, and also to set the right expectations. You know, sometimes you have clients asking for, can we have the exact same uh, talk for our uh, people in a different location? And the answer is, you know, you know, it does. For people like yourself, Eric, and you know, I, I follow the same style as well. Uh, you know, if the message remains the same, the intention remains the same, but how and which story is going to emerge at that point of time to support that, it changes. And you have to leave the, uh, the room open, uh, you know, the window open for that spontaneity to uh, kick in. Do you know, I, I got a really powerful lesson in this. I, as a young man, I moved to England. I grew up in Canada and I moved to England and, mm -hmm. um, and I lived there for some years. And then I got, I got a phone call from uh, Tony Robbins company. This is many, many years before they engaged me as a speaker. They just called me as a client because I'd been okay. to some of their seminars and they said, look, we're launching Tony in London. Would you, would you be willing to come and kind of help us out a little bit? You know, and I'm okay. like, yeah, of course I'll be there. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I go off to this event and I get there and, um, then Tony goes on stage and, and, and I think it's the first or second time he's ever been in London and he's doing it and it's like 10,000 people there. It's amazing. Right. Mm -hmm. But he kept on using American sports metaphors. Uh -huh. He kept on talking about, we're going to get a touchdown this time for sure. We're going to learn how to hit a home run. <laughs> and, and what happened was is that the people in the audience, and remember these days, American metaphors are a little bit more international Common. because of the right. internet. But back mm -hmm. then, Nobody mm -hmm. knew what a touchdown was. Mm -hmm. it, it'd, be, it'd be like going to America and talking about scoring a try. Mm. Like, Americans will just come back with the great Yoda quote, do or do mm. not, there is no try. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> right. You know, so they, well, more I watched Yeah, I watched that happen. And I realized in that moment, we want to make sure that we are really aware of what aspects of our language are, are cultural and only that culture. And so I was very lucky that I got to grow up with South African roots, then in Canada, then lived in England for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so when I launched my career as a speaker, I had a, 
a more broad spectrum idea of how to do what you and I were just talking about, how you mm -hmm. do customize it for that audience and how you avoid the gaffes of mm -hmm. using metaphors or examples that they don't understand. Mm -hmm. And that takes effort and that takes cultural sensitivity and that takes travel. Guys, go travel out there, live and work in different countries, absorb their influences and, and uh, the, you know, the sports they play, the food they eat. And it, it makes you a better person overall, you know, just, rather than just going through the next uh, empathy training or whatever that happens to be from a theoretical point of view. It's been a wonderful conversation here, Eric. Thank you so much for your time. I think uh, we, we went with the flow, but we were still able to cover some very important points. Um, and I think uh, I would request all of our viewers, our listeners to go back, replay, uh, share your learnings in the comment section. I always urge you to learn with the intention of teaching, um, to understand that learning is not a spectator sport. You have, you've got to participate and you do that by typing in your top takeaways in the comments section. Go start a conversation there so more people can join in. And also we'll share the links for all of Eric's works, his courses books and website in the description below as well as the social media links go follow them I think there's a, a lot of wisdom out there available on YouTube and other places Eric before we let you go uh, words of uh, inspiration for our young viewers especially across the world people who uh, still are not sure they haven't found their voice they haven't found their direction uh, the clarity about what they want to do in life uh, often end up confused and in self-harm a lot of young people in, in especially in this part of the world or maybe across the world is the same thing disengaged bored what would you like to say to young people across the world Eric Wow I need like an hour and a half for that. <laughs> like, um, I, I, a couple of quick points um, mm -hmm. I'm just gonna say this about social media um, I, I really want you guys like you know really consider the difference between you using social media and social media using you mm -hmm. and that is a very important distinction um, right. social media is the cigarettes of my generation mm -hmm. and you need to be very very careful about it because un unlike cigarettes that had no benefit mm -hmm. social media does and if you use it responsibly then maybe you know it's all right but it's it's mm -hmm. you know you're you're in this position where people are posting stuff about their very best version of their life and they're not telling you the truth and then you're comparing mm -hmm. your life against their best life and wow that is really hard psychologically on on kids and and young people generally so uh, that's cool. one thing mm -hmm. and then the other thing a little bit more on the let's say positive idea is that um what's really clear is that uh your background your intelligence uh those things actually do not correlate with how successful or how how happy the you're going to be in life. Mm -hmm. It turns out that one of the things that will correlate best with how happy and fulfilled you feel in your life is your ability to communicate, your ability to get what you want from the world by communicating effectively. And mm -hmm. so I highly recommend that you dedicate your time to watching people communicate effectively on YouTube. There's fabulous talks out there by people like Jim Rohn, mm -hmm. Jay Shetty, Brian Tracy, mm -hmm. uh, podcasts like the one that you're listening to right now. I mean, I, I, you got to <laughs> do stuff like this. And when you right. hear something poignant, when you hear something powerful, listen to it again and again and again. And I'll, I'll leave you with this. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I, I have two good examples. My driver here in Dominican Republic that I use quite regularly. Mm -hmm. When I first met him some five years ago, he really didn't speak very much English at all. But he has taught himself English by listening to Jay Shetty, me, Alan Watts, Tony Robbins on wow. YouTube. 
So you can imagine the quality of English he learned has been really interesting, right? Mm -hmm. And and it's really empowered him. He now has, a, 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 he's really grown his business. It's really super successful. And I'm gonna give you another example of a young mm -hmm. man who approached me from Egypt. And he asked me the same question, what, what do I need? And I said, it's all about communication. He has since written a book. He wrote to me on Instagram wow. and I manage my own Instagram. And he wrote to me on Instagram and asked me if I would write a forward for his book, which I did in Egypt. And, and he has used that book and, he, and he's used his ability to communicate to completely change his life. So that's my big message. It doesn't matter. I don't care if you want to be a doctor, a lawyer, a business person, a teacher, whatever it is you want to be, mm -hmm. get really comfortable with communicating your needs, your wants, your message, and mm -hmm. everything will change. Fantastic. So don't let social media control you guys. It doesn't matter where you come from. What matters is where you're going. And finally, discover your voice. This was Mr. Eric Edmeads all the way from Dominican Republic. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. What a pleasure.